And what's up? Welcome in GC Live Thursday episode of the show. Getting back on the horse here as South Carolina preseason football rolls along. As always, brought to you by our buddy Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage. ClintHammond.com, 803-771-6933. That is the office number. Met with Clint earlier this week. Chris, we've been doing this ad for about two or three years now. And Clint uh, said, actually, Wes, why don't you give him my cell phone? So um, 803-422-6797. Also, Clint's cell phone. That is, uh, he says, the best way to contact him. You can also call the office, um, clinthammond.com, if you want more information. If you're in the market for any home, if you want to see how big of a home you can afford, if you want to see what the interest rates look like, if you want to come up basically with a plan for purchasing a new home, Clint is your guy for that. So, again, contact Clint Hammond, clinthammond.com, or 803-422-6797. Like I said, preseason camp rolling along. Sterling Lucas talking today. Some defensive players talking today. Yesterday was the first off day of camp. So, really, I I thought that offered a, a good time to sort of take assessment of where things are. What do we know? What do we not know? What has been surprising? What has not been surprising? We're still very, very early, but also we're at that point, Chris, where I do think we start to hear things. First scrimmage is on Saturday. So at that point, that's when you're really going to start to hear some things, and we're going to start to have an idea of um, maybe what are some things that have played out the way we thought and what are some things that have played out maybe differently than we thought they would. These scrimmages are so, so important. Um, it really helps, I think, the staff start kind of narrowing things down a little bit. There's going to come a point in preseason camp where you really are officially turning the page and you're fully focused on North Carolina, but they're still in that phase right now where you're kind of working on, on South Carolina, right? You're, you're working on your team. You've got some of these position battles that are still going on. Cohesiveness, your new offense. You're plugging in some new guys on special teams. Obviously, you got some things to work on defensively. And that remains the focus. But I go back to what Lonnie Teasley told us on the preseason media day, uh, the report day for players at camp, day before the first practice uh, at the beginning of this month. And I asked him, hey, when is your – you know, kind of maybe not your final five, but when are you going to have a good idea about your five starters? When are you going to have a good idea about your eight, kind of your top eight, your rotation guys? Hey, who's my sixth guy if somebody goes down or needs to come out of the game for whatever reason? And he said scrimmage number two. And so each of these is just super, super important. You know, that first first scrimmage session on Saturday, 3.15 p.m. at Williams-Brice, coaches are going to walk away with, from that with some takes that's that's just getting one step closer by the time that they have the next scrimmage at williams bryce saturday august 19th 7 p.m west they're going to be able to see that live look back at the tape and that's really going to be a key point for this team and trying to narrow things down who's ahead in the position battles how do they feel about the rotation so for the players scrimmage two is a big point but scrimmage one obviously is another uh, really, really important one. Wes, we'll get to see. I think we have two more chances to watch practice, right, this preseason uh, before they kick it off. One of them is tomorrow, 235, 
We'll get a few periods tomorrow. And then I think August 17th, about a week from today, we'll get to see more before things are kind of shut down on us. And that's when we're going to see, I think, even more of getting into North Carolina game planning. And by that time, the staff will have things a little bit more narrowed down. Scrimmage two will have not happened yet, but they'll be getting closer to narrowing things down. Well, yeah, and the, the beauty of the scrimmages is you're, you know, you're putting the full pads on, you're going out there, you're tackling to the ground, except for quarterbacks. And, you know, I, I think sometimes it's easy to forget that these are not your practices like you had 20, 25 years ago. Your your regular practices leading up to your scrimmages, you're not doing a lot of tackling to the ground. You're, I don't want to say you're going through the motions because that's not fair at all. They're still physical. They're still grueling. You're still blocking guys up front, but it's hard to tell how a play would have developed if you take out the element of does this back fall forward? Do they run through that tackle? Do they make this guy miss? Um, or do they get drugged to the ground? So you're still, you know, you're, you're playing football, but it's not completely the game of football. And you go into the scrimmages, you remove that element of the coach being right there beside you on the field. A lot of the scrimmages are game simulations to where you're going to put coaches on the sidelines. You're going to put them up in the box. You're going to go through your entire dress rehearsal in some cases for what a game day is going to look like. So this is when you really start to get a feel for certain guys. And some guys, the when the lights turn on, man, they, they take it to another level too. So I, I think that's an important aspect of watching and evaluating these scrimmages. So we'll, we'll get a feel for that, and we'll, we won't be out there for the scrimmage, but um, I suspect and hope we'll be able to pull some, some notes and tidbits that we can pass along. And Shane Beamer are going to speak after that first scrimmage as well. So, Chris, you know, if we sort of go at it from the context of what have we learned so far – I put together an article on Gamecock Central uh, last night, basically, or yesterday during the day, sort of putting together, all right, here's what I think are emerging things to watch. And one of those things was something Beamer mentioned the day before practice started. That's the potential emergence of Tyreek Johnson Mm -hmm. at, uh, at defensive end slash edge. And, you know, I, I came into the year, frankly, putting him in my mind as he'll probably play a similar role to last year. The antenna perked up a little bit when Beamer said that. Sterling Lucas spoke today as well. Tyreek Johnson spoke today as well. And there starts to be a little bit more buzz. Maybe the expectations go up a little bit about what Tyreek could do for this team. And, Chris, when we have been out there, he has maintained his spot with the with the ones on uh, the defensive front. Yeah, he has. Tyreek's just such a kind of a fascinating case, and and I'm honestly glad for him, Wes, that he has emerged like this. Um, several interesting points here. You know, underrated guy coming out of high school, but I remember when he got to South Carolina as a true freshman. He was all the way back in the 2017 class, um, and remember him coming out, sorry, 2018 class, not that far back, 2018 class. And even then it was a different staff, but you could watch him in practice and see some of the things that the coaches then were praising him for, you know, his technique, for example. 
and you got the feeling kind of like this guy could end up being not year one, but he could end up being maybe a surprising guy. He could end up being one of those players that just develops and turns into a really solid player. But year one, early in fall camp, which they're in right now, suffered a torn ACL. Comes off that, misses the following spring, misses most of that season in year two with the sublux kneecap, which is like the Ortre Smith injury. Very difficult injury. Nothing you can do about it. You got to have surgery, got to recover. Tough to come back from. The next year, COVID year, 2020, he misses spring again, recovers from that kneecap, didn't see any game action. And in 2021, you know, that's really the first year, Wes, where he kind of has an opportunity from a health standpoint to get on a field, play in a couple games, and then saw some time last year. I remember specifically there was a point going into last season where we kind of thought, gosh, you know, is this the time for Tyreek Johnson where there's going to kind of be a decision made, right, as to whether or not, you know, you see some guys, Wes, when they get into their fourth years at a program, if they're not contributing, sometimes they move on, and and you totally understand that. But what happened last season is Johnson had, I think, a a really good spring, actually. Um, He didn't end up playing a huge role, but he played a role in this defense, and it seems like now that he's been able to stay healthy for a more sustained period of time, um, now he goes through the spring, goes through summer workouts, he's got experience as a six-year guy, and it seems like he's had probably his best offseason ever. So in the past couple years, he's come a long way. The health is a big part of that. The experience is a big part of that. I think he's always had some natural, you know, ability and traits. And so not to set the expectations too high for Tyreek Johnson, um, but I do think he's in the best position that he's been in since he's been at South Carolina to A, stay healthy, and B, you know, make a meaningful contribution to this team. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, I mean, that's a position. We've talked about it all offseason. We, we know what South Carolina tried to go out and do in the portal at that spot, too. You know that's a spot that they needed and wanted some guys to emerge. And so, uh, frankly, could be critical for them if he can give them a little bit more than what he gave last year. Um, I would encourage everybody to go watch and listen to all of Stern Lucas' comments. I saw they just got posted on the Gamecocks Online YouTube. Um, I'm sure they'll be posted on the Gamecocks Central YouTube at some point as well. I was hoping to actually play a little bit of that, but it, it wasn't available when right before we were recording. So um, that, that's a very interesting position that a lot of people have their eyes on going into this season. I tend to think JT Gear going to make his push in there at some point, but – at the same time, I mean, you, you're going to need multiple guys. You can't just have two and get through the season at that position. You're going to have to bring guys along. And, and for some of them, whether they're ready now or whether they're ready game four, game five, game six, you got to keep bringing along that position. Um, I've seen the head, I've seen the little bullet points from what Sterling Lucas had to say. I have not had the chance to watch it myself either, but. From what I saw, um, you know, Colin Taylor reporting on Gamecock Central, uh, you know, th- there's some some high praise for Tyreek and Sterling, uh, you know, basically saying that – let me see if I can find it here to, to make sure I'm saying it uh, correctly. Um, Sterling saying that Tyreek Johnson has everything it takes to be a great player um, and that pound for pound he is one of the strongest players on the team. And um, – now he just needs the opportunity to go out there and, quote, dominate. 
So, you know, uh, to me, those are actually some some pretty strong words from your position coach for a guy who, as we said to this point, has has played. You know, he played probably more snaps than people realize last year, but now could be in a position to bump up. I like the way Beamer said it. Could he bump up into being an impactful player for South Carolina this year, which I think is a different expectation than being a rotational player. Yeah, and I think it's even different than being a starter, Wes. I mean, you know, South Carolina is in a position now at the edge spot where, um, you know, you're, you're still trying to find your guys and who can you count on? You know, Jordan Strawn, we, we did get to eyeball him in practice a couple times, Wes, and it indeed looks like he is moving around well. I know he, today he said he's feeling 110% coming off that ACL injury, another ACL injury. Um, but you, you look at kind of the starters, maybe those aren't even, you know, Strong's going to be a starter, but does is it ultimately Gear? Is it ultimately Johnson? Um, who are the guys kind of behind Strong, and then who whoever ends up being the starter? Who's your fifth guy at the edge spot? Is it Desmond Yumiazulu as a freshman? There are a lot of questions at this position. You know, number one, who's going to be your starter? Who's going to be, you know, in that rotation? But how impactful can they be? You know, we, we've seen some South Carolina teams in the past, Wes, not saying that this would be the case with Edge this year, where they have starters, but sometimes they're not that impactful in terms of the amount of plays they make. And so I think the way that Beamer put it is – is great because you want to move a guy from not just being in the rotation, like you said, but can he be a starter? That's the way to make the biggest impact. And then can he, you know, take that next step forward? So not just winning a starting job, but when you're out there actually making, you know, some plays that's going to be needed this year. And you got to find some depth too. We found out last season, you're a play away from, you know, dipping into that depth it happened with Jordan Strong early in the year against Arkansas. Now you're playing Gilbert Edmond. He took a step forward, but he's no longer here. Jordan Birch is no longer here. So you got to find some more guys. I think his emergence is maybe something, um, you know, it's still a wait and see as far as how impactful he can be. But his emergence is extremely well-timed, I'll say that, for South Carolina because he could be an answer you know, one answer at the edge position at a position where they really need some answers going into the season. Yeah, a couple of folks chiming in on our YouTube uh, chat here. It's me saying, I think, Des, you will be the best pass rusher on the team this year. Uh, you know, maybe. I, I don't know if that's quite a fair expectation for him as a true freshman. I think, I, honestly, you want for that answer to be Jordan Strong because that's the guy who's got the experience and upside, and obviously returning from an injury, he's a starter. You want for you want for us to look back and be like, man, Jordan Strong has had a fantastic season because it's going to be difficult to me for a true freshman to be that guy we're talking about. That probably means some other guys have not quite performed up to expectations. Ben saying Gear going to be a breakout. Yeah, I think I think the question there is is Gear rotating in with the second team. Or is he a day one starter or is he a starter as the year progresses? You know, I, I think always important to remember there are levels to these things. And, you know, playing, yes, all, all the guys we're talking about are going to be playing. The thing that's yet to be determined is exactly what their roles will be 
Michael Lynn saying Brian Thomas Jr. had a nice spring. I've said this many times, Michael. I underestimated the amount of impact Brian Thomas Jr. could potentially make. Now, I still think he's more of a third-down pass rush guy situationally in a perfect world. But I also, what I saw out of him in the spring, Chris, I, I was like, man, this guy has some juice off the edge. And if, I, if I'm in a third down, you know, third and ten, I know they're throwing the football. I'm trying to get my best pass rushers on the field situation. I'm not so sure Brian Thomas Jr. isn't a guy that I'm subbing in there because that, you know, that lack of length, lack of height, Guys are going to get dinged for that at that position. But sometimes when you're in a pass rush only situation, it may not be quite as important when you can burst and bend around the edge the way Brian Thomas Jr. does because sometimes that guy can actually get under what I would sort of call the strike zone for a big 6'6 offensive tackle trying to put his hands on you. Sometimes you can get under those guys. Now, they're going to turn around if it's an every-down situation. They're just going to turn around and try to mash you in the running game. But if it's pass rush only, to me, that's where Brian Thomas Jr. could actually be a guy who quietly ends up making a pretty big impact on this defense. Yeah, certainly, man. And and not to draw – look, I'm, I'm not um, making the, the leap that Brian Thomas Jr. is going to be an Eric Norwood for South Carolina. But there is some precedent um, in college football for undersized guys being really good pass rushers. I think one of the reasons being exactly what you said. I think I've given this antidote before here on the show, but you know, I talked with Ellis Johnson, great defensive coordinator for the Gamecocks in the past, about Eric Norwood and just what made him so good. Um, and he, he basically said it, it wasn't – just necessarily the first step off the line. It definitely wasn't his length. He wasn't overpowering, but he was just very smart. You know, he he knew what move to use um, based on the way an offensive tackle was was setting. You know, that, that was the biggest thing. And he also, another thing he noted about Norwood was he could run, wasn't a super fast guy, but Norwood could run as fast straight line running a 40-yard dash as he could making the turn around a corner to try to get around an offensive tackle. And I think with Brian Thomas Jr., again, not Norwood. Please don't go put on Twitter that that Chris Clark said that he was going to be the next Eric Norwood. But I think there's a similarity in that a smaller guy who has some quicks, some smarts, some pass rush juice. Remember, his dad, great NFL pass rusher as a linebacker for the New York Jets for years and years, outstanding player. So there's a little bit of genetics and I think smarts there at play too. Brian Thomas Jr. not going to physically overwhelm you in terms of his look, physical presentation, or even the traits necessarily, but he is quick off the edge. He does seem to have a knack for rushing the passer, and so I'm totally with you. Look, look, Wes, pre-spring, let's say January, February, we're looking at edge. Birch has left the program. Uh, Gilbert Edmonds left the program. Um, Jordan Strong still kind of earlier in that injury rehab, you're going, man, this looks a little dire. Now, it's still not solved by any means. I think South Carolina's got a ways to go at the edge. I don't think you call this a strength of the team by any means. I think it's still actually a pretty big question. But do you feel better than you did in January or February? Yeah, I think so. You've added JT gear. Tyreek Johnson has had 
probably it seems like his best offseason since he's been here. Brian Thomas Jr. did have a good spring. Desmond Yumiazulu looks like you thought he was going to look when you brought him in. So I think the outlook is better. Is it fixed? Is it an A-plus position? No, but I do think it's better. And that really, I think, has to had to be your goal in the preseason. Yeah, for sure. And you just want to kind of keep keep building there, keep uh, you know progressing guys along, keep bringing them along, and, and sort of seeing what that room looks like as the year progresses. And you got to avoid injuries too, man. I, I think that's that's the big thing there. You when you go in already sort of having questions, you can maybe develop your way out of it if you have some guys with some upside, but you can't afford to have those big early injuries like we saw at that spot, of course, uh, week two last season. Um, speaking of kind of like like I was talking about a second ago, levels to things, I've changed the level of my expectation for the carry-on joiner, the running back, personally. Chris, I think that this is this – is, He's come a long way since this was just deemed, ah, you know, we're going to try him at running back. Yeah. And and then it quickly, what did it do? It shifted to, hey, he's, he, he looks like a guy that's going to help us at running back. He picked this thing up quicker than we thought. Then after that, what happens? It shifts more and more. You go into the off season and you start hearing quotes from Dow Loggins saying, uh, you know, this guy's an SEC starter, saying where will we be without him? Um, I tend to think that it's gone from, yeah, he's going to help the team. He's going to be maybe a guy that supplements that position to, hey, he, he has a chance to be, let's go back to the word impactful. He could be an impactful guy on this offense, and I know it was just a handful of plays, Chris, but it struck me when we were watching that little 11-on-11 ones versus ones on Monday. It struck me how many times five touched the football, whether it was inside run or whether it was Rattler saying, you know, let me dump the ball off to underneath, let me swing it outside. There's going to be a bunch of chances for five to touch this football more so than any other time since he was at South Carolina. And this is like this is like a dream scenario for Joiner and Gamecock fans. I think, like, I can't think of another player, and and maybe I'm forgetting one, but I can't think of a, of another player right off the top of my head in recent memory, Wes, where there has been more clamoring for a guy to get the football to be more featured than to carry on Joiner, And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. He was kind of beloved during the recruiting process, former quarterback, former highly ranked guy, South Carolina native. And then he's done some really cool things in spots where he's been given the opportunity. And so naturally, especially when struggle hits offensively, it is very natural, very fair for people to wonder why isn't this guy getting the football more? Um, and I think that answer isn't, you know, it's, it's more complex. I mean, sometimes Joyner's been very open with this. He's had some injury struggles that have kind of held him back over time. But now what's happened is he's been put in a position by USC, and I think we have to credit Shane Beamer, Wes, 
for ultimately pulling the trigger of pulling to carry on into his office and saying, Hey, let's try this after to carry on has been kind of jerked back and forth positionally his whole career credit to the carry on for accepting it, being a team guy and running with it. But now he's at a position where, as you pointed out, he gets to touch the football a lot. He gets to be very involved with the offense, not just coming in for a couple plays cold off the bench, you know, to play quarterback here and there and, and maybe run the football or run an RPO and then get back on the sideline, but to actually be really involved. And then for Gamecock fans, you know, being able to actually see Joyner touch the football a lot more, I think is is kind of a dream scenario and, and good for to carry on because he's finally getting the opportunity to do it. You're right. It has come a long, long way. And, you know, I think you've been on this one for a long time, Wes, and saying pretty early, like, this guy, it has the look of he's going to be running back one. That's certainly coming to fruition. But I think, again, let me go back to the edge discussion. The difference between just being a starter and being impactful, we've probably gone from a spot where maybe you're sitting around saying, well, Joyner will probably start, but, like, kind of somebody has to start. It seems like he's earned it to where he's not just going to start, but he's going to make some plays for this mm-hmm. team and be an impact guy. So, uh, Mac and Dino podcast weighing in. Over under on him throwing a pass, game one, UNC. His over under is .5, so that's basically yes or no. Are you go- are you- Is he throwing one game one? He's definitely throwing one this season, right? Yeah. Like, that's that's a given. Is he throwing one game one? I like it. You like the chances? I like it. Let, let's let's go with it. Yeah, why not? Let's go out on that limb. Our friends at Famously Garnet Sports, Big Facts, DK is the best. Michael saying Dak is a north-south running back with skills. Um, Will going with the over. B. Hughes saying he cannot wait to see DK this season. I agree, man. Pe- people are excited. I, I do think, hey, that's a that's a good point there. I think people are going to be surprised at how physical he runs at 229 pounds. What there's still there's still a percentage of people that if he like took a Twitter poll right now, there would be some replies on Twitter that with people saying he's too small to play running back. Yes, like that persists. That will persist. Dakarion could show up on a scale tomorrow and weigh 290 pounds. And, and that would still, that would still, he'd be like, I'm an offensive tackle now. And people would still say he's too small. So big guy, physicality. We even saw, I saw some runs in practice, Wes, last time we were out there that were blown dead because, mm-hmm. you know, kind of out on the second level. And to carry on, I mean, if he, he would have run somebody over on those plays. I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, George Rogers running people over, but he, he does run with some physicality and he has kind of that wiggle, you know, that we've always seen from him when he's been healthy. Yeah, I'm I, I'm with you, although I'm I'm looking forward to watching him. Excited for him. Great dude, great gamecock. Gonna be fun to see him. I I would love to see what the expectation is. Maybe we can do this at some point, see who can best predict it on his stats this year. Oh, what I'm still honing in on what's fair, what's realistic, yeah. what you know, stats are so difficult because you don't know when a guy's going to get banged up, is he going to miss 5 games? You know, it's they're very hard to predict, but I'm I would be very curious to see what a fair 
over under would be what people would project. Um, can he be a 600 yard runner? Can he be an 800 yard runner? Like I, I think those are some, some interesting conversations. Uh, so Chris, before we go any further, we got to welcome our newest sponsor and that is game time, which uh, can be found at gametime.co, not gametime.com. So we, we now have game time on as a sponsor, but Chris, I actually used this app two years ago. You'll remember I went to the world series and I was struggling to find tickets. Um, of course, going to the world series, unless you win the raffle, you got to go aftermarket on tickets. And I ended up using the game time app and was able to go. I, I told myself, we're going to the World Series. We're getting tickets. Hell or high water, we're, we're making it happen. <laughs> so we made it happen through the Game Time app. So if you are in a position right now where you're thinking about maybe going to that season opener, maybe you're thinking about going to a game down the road, maybe you want to go to the World Series too when the Braves go back to the World Series this year or just want to go to playoffs, um, the Game Time app is the place to do it. Um, Essentially, the best part of the, about this, guys, is if, if you go on there and you buy the uh, tickets through the Game Time app at GameTime.co, and then you find tickets for cheaper, they will credit you 110% of the difference. So there's a reason that they are the fastest-growing ticket app in the country, and that's a big reason for it. Their tickets are also sent directly to your phone, you don't have to do the whole email thing, the transfer thing. Am I logged into this app? Am I logged into that app? How do I get it down on my phone? It's going to be sent directly to your phone. So basically, if you're looking for tickets to games right now and you're looking for a little extra deal to put to put it over the top, here's what you got to do. Download the GameTime app, create an account on there, use the code GAMECOCKS, and if you do that, you're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Um, terms do apply, but just download the Game Time app right now. Last minute tickets, lowest price. Again, that's the lowest price, Chris, guaranteed. So I know there's a lot of people up in the air about whether they're going to the opener or not in Charlotte. But if you use our code, we always like for our sponsors to provide some value to our listeners and viewers. Use that code GameCox, $20 off going to that opening game. And I already checked that game is on there. So go check it out. Gametime.co or just download the GameTime app. All right, Chris, back to football, back to spring practice. The other emerging storyline I went with that was something we we're really already talking about, but at least worth mentioning, practice one, we're out there as we suspected, as we said was going to happen, Sidney Fugar with the ones at right tackle. On Monday, we're out there. Again, very small viewing window. Tyshawn Wanamaker out there with the ones at right tackle. We still don't know. Is that just an ongoing rotation? Does that mean there's movement? We know there hasn't been a scrimmage yet. We know that position is not won yet. And I still tend to think Cason Henry is going to possibly have his say there eventually too, Chris. But this may be actually one of the more tracked position battles, you would say, in terms of a starting spot 
on this team leading into week one. There's a lot of battles that I think probably more result in who's who's next up, who's second, who's on that second line on the depth chart. This may be the most intense battle, in my opinion, for a starting spot on this roster. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. And we've already seen – I was curious, Wes, we've seen two practices, right? We get – I think we get viewing windows in four total during the course of the preseason. So I was curious as to whether we were going to go out for practice two and it was still going to be Sidney Fugar at right tackle. Now, we don't, we wouldn't have made um, a huge deal about that if so. It would have been noteworthy. It may have meant something. But Lonnie Teasley, the offensive line coach, was even joking around, talking to him at preseason media day. He's like, yeah, I mean, you might come out and you'll see Nick Gargiulo at left tackle, you know, which Nick did play left tackle at Yale for a few years, actually. The chances that are actually going to happen very, very small at South Carolina, right? But he was just illustrating the point of, like, they're going to continue to move guys around until they get to that kind of cutoff point where they feel like they need to narrow it down to their five, to their eight-man rotation. And so – I was curious, though. You know, it would have been one portion of practice. Practice is a couple hours. We got seven periods of practice, so we're out there for, what, 20 to 30 minutes, Wes, probably in total. But practice number two, there was a little bit of a difference from what we saw. And so I think, you know, again, you don't make too much out of that. We knew they were going to do that. But it does, I think, still lend credence to the idea that there's still a pretty intense battle going on there. I don't know, Wes – if it's going to be at the beginning of the season, but I have a feeling that Tyshawn Wanamaker, who's played a, a decent amount of football during his career at South Carolina, is going to make a push. I think this is still a guy who's an energy guy on the field. You remember some of the stuff that was going on at the last practice we were at? There was some uh, skirmishes, uh, some competitiveness. Tyshawn Wanamaker was right in that mix, letting the defense know about it. Um. So I think as he continues to, you know, maybe progress, but you know, throughout preseason camp during the season, I think he may have more and more to say about that right tackle spot where he's been before. But Sidney Fugar, of course, going to have every opportunity. Case and Henry, a guy I'm curious to see more of, to hear more about as well. Yeah, well, it is kind of interesting. Fugar, the guy coming in from a quote smaller school, you know, Western Illinois. Uh, but, but he is the bigger of the two players. Um, you know, Wanamaker, not the biggest guy right now, but also does look incredibly athletic, I feel like. Very light on his feet. So uh, that's something to kind of keep an eye on there. Is, is some of that even opponent dependent as far as who might be the lead guy going into the season? I don't know. Obviously, they're going to have to bring both those guys along, bring Case and Henry along as well. Um, I, I'll go all the way back. You know, that, that's a guy – Marcus Satterfield, always when he would talk about Tyshawn Wanamaker, he would talk about the energy he brings. I remember going back watching, I think that was the Florida game, year one for Beamer, when South Carolina really just established things up front and and took the fight to Florida. They're going on first down runs, and Tyshawn is out there sprinting out in front of where the running back is, signaling first down hyping everybody up, um, you know, high energy, high effort uh, leader type guy when it comes to that. So you, you really, I think, best case scenario is he can keep coming along and get in a position where he could impact this team and, and be on the field 
with the starters because he is a upperclassman now. He's kind of waited his turn. He has played some, like you said, but you want to see him kind of take over a spot. I think we had a interesting question here, man, from Preston. Appreciate the question, Preston Jones. We we think we know who's the number one running back. Yep. It's to carry on Joyner. Preston wants to know who is number two. And, Chris, I tend to think this will be a rotating answer. Who's number two right this second? Who's number two week one? Who's number two week ten? Might be three different answers. So, yeah, I I agree. It's tough to hone in on. Um, You know, because I I think here's one reason for it. You do have Juju McDowell out there, and he's someone that, you know, again, broken record. He's not going to carry the ball 30 times in a game. But he is a valuable offensive piece when utilized correctly. And he's also – you pointed this out the other day, Wes, or reminded people of this. You know, there were some games in 2021 where Juju McDowell as a true freshman was a big part of what they did, East Carolina being one. I mean, he doesn't make some of those plays against East Carolina. South Carolina does not win that football game at the end in comeback fashion. You know, maybe does it end up being – a little bit like that 2021 season. Now, Kevin Harris was the lead dog that year. He got the most carries. He was, you know, the guy had 152 carries. But you also had in there, Z White ended up being the second guy with 88 carries. But then you had Marshawn Lloyd that year, had 64. Juju McDowell had 52. And during the year, it kind of flipped. You know, uh, there was a period where Z White kind of disappeared from the field and you're going, what happened to this guy? You know, and then he reemerges and he does some really good things. So you, you'd want it to be, um, I think if you're South Carolina, a little bit more consistent than it was that year, as far as where all your guys are, how much they're, they're playing. Um, but it could certainly change. And I think we feel like we've got a good handle on who the starter is. And that is to carry on joiner, like you said, Wes, but I, I think things are still fairly close behind him. And I think you do have some guys with different skill sets. Mario Anderson is a lot different than Juju McDowell as a runner. Situationally, there might be some differences. Schematically, there's going to be some differences. And then, of course, you throw DJ Braswell into this. It's a guy that Dowell Loggins has said, hey, for our offense to be the best it could be, he needs to have a good preseason. Well, what does that mean? It means if he has a good preseason, maybe he factors in. So a lot of interesting questions there i think it was a fantastic question by preston um and i don't know that we have the answer for sure you know we might can handicap it hey i think this guy will get the most carries if that's kind of how you're setting the bar of who the number two running back is i don't know if i have a great answer right now though yeah or my my bar would be right now who week one north carolina the carry-on is in the starting lineup who goes out there next? When DeCarion takes his first breather, who is in the backfield beside seven? Uh, I think will be interesting to see. I tend to think, and I, you know what, man? There, there really were high expectations for Juju McDowell after year one, and he goes into year two. I was just pulling up his game log. 
I remember so, – so we all know what Marshawn Lloyd ended up doing for this team during that stretch of the year where he settled in and they just made it a point to get him the football. He was really good and he was breaking a lot of tackles. I remember, Chris, the Arkansas game last year, and I just pulled up the numbers to see if my brain was uh, mixed up. Arkansas game last year. Marshawn Lloyd, seven carries, 23 yards. That's a 3.3 yards per carry average. Juju McDowell, again, small sample size, y'all. I'm not saying he had a huge game against Arkansas, but he had six carries for 35 yards, a touchdown. It's a 5.8 yards per carry average, two catches for 26 yards. I remember watching that game and being like, Juju, right this second, looks like the best back on this team. Now, as the year went on, that ended up being Marshawn, and I, I don't really think that was – I don't think that was a conversation. Like, I, I think that was pretty clear. Um, but, you know, I recently sort of found out, you know, he, did, he didn't quite – Juju didn't quite play up to, I think, what they thought he would last year. So, can he regain that? Um, you know, I think he's one of the guys that's been a little bit banged up coming out of summer as well. So – um, you know, I, I think there, I think there's an ongoing competition at that position. In my opinion, it starts out Mario Anderson as the two. By the time the year is over, I think Braswell potentially sort of climbs the depth chart, so to speak, to number two. Yes, potentially. Yeah. But but those other guys will have a chance to show on the field that I'm dead wrong. You know, like, they, yeah. they may hold him off. But I, I just – the way the coaches talk about Braswell's potential, it makes you feel like he could be potentially special. And that is a position we've seen a freshman can make an impact yep. at. So – his Braswell's skill set is different than anybody else on the roster. I, I wonder if we had a roundtable going on here on GC Live, which if any of them are interested, we can make it happen. Shane Beamer, Dow Loggins, Monterio Hardesty, and we just do a little roundtable and pose that question. Hey, hey, who do you think the number two back will be by the time the season ends? Uh, first of all, they probably wouldn't answer it publicly, but yeah. let's say they did. Let, let's let's say they take off the filter. Yeah, I don't know if they'd be able to answer it. I have a feeling just listening to Hardesty and the way that he kind of thinks and the way that he communicates, he, he's pretty open with things. But I do think he would probably say, that's up to them. I don't know. You know, he would he would probably just say, well, you know, I can give you an idea maybe right now, but I don't know what that's going to look like by the time the season ends. You know, um, let, Wes, it could be that Braswell has the best – preseason camp that any you know that any freshman has ever had in the history of college football and then you put him in the game and he fumbles a couple of times and loses confidence or the staff loses confidence I mean hopefully that doesn't happen that could happen to anybody but you, you just especially with a freshman you don't really know um, you might not fully know even what you got against Mario Anderson he you know he may have a good preseason or any of these guys and then the lights come on you get them out there and Maybe it's not quite what you think. Um, so we'll see. Um, I just think it's a hard question to answer right now. 
And I think we're talking about a guy, you brought up the word potential with Braswell. That's what it is. There's a lot of ability. He's not the number two guy right now. Could he be? Yes. But I think there's just a lot left to sort out this preseason camp. And even during the actual season itself in game situations and even practices, you know, that go throughout the season. He's not the number two right now that we know of. That we know of. Could you never know. You never, yeah, you never know. I, I mean I kinda I have doubts. I doubt it. I mean Brad Bradley Dunn was out there with the twos on Monday. There you go. So we should be hey, talking I, about I will more. say this. Let's let's throw back let's throw Bradley Dunn some love. Walk on guy that the staff we're told was very happy with what he showed this summer and leading into preseason. Uh, does that mean he's beating out a scholarship guy for reps? Probably not. Does that mean he's a guy who could be, we, we all know there's always that kind of next man up walk on guy at that position. If you're up big, if you're down big, if you have a bunch of injuries, who's the guy that could just go out there and run hard in the fourth quarter. Bradley Dunn could could be that guy, I think. Like they they've been really happy with what he's done at that position. Hammond School, local guy. Uh, so some love to him. He's done a really good job. And there's a reason that they ran him out there with the twos when we were in practice the other day. And that's just that um he's, I believe, done everything that's asked of him at that position. But yeah, great, great question, Preston. I, I think um I think Chris is right though, like they, if you really got the coaches' deep, deep thoughts, they might have a feel for how it might play out. But I do think when we make projections and predictions and try to say how things are going to play out, sometimes we forget this is not a movie or a TV show. Like These are not static things. These are human beings. Really, a lot of it's going to depend on who goes out there and, and executes, who does what's asked who remains disciplined in doing everything that's being asked of them on a day-to-day basis throughout a long season, who can keep the emotions out of it when maybe, maybe I'm not second team, but I want to be second team. Yeah. Who can just kind of stay the course, who gets down on themselves. All these things are variables that are, I would say nearly impossible to take into account moving forward. Cause it, no matter how much information there is, no matter how much detail there is, there are still always surprises in sports, which is what makes it fun to cover and follow. Yeah, I'd, I'd even go back, Wes, on a, on, a, on a smaller scale to what we were talking about. I think it was earlier this week on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour on 107.5 The Game. We are talking about the oars on the depth chart. You remember that? And how kind of felt like we had a probably a pretty decent idea, and then you get to the season, and the first depth chart that comes out before game one, all three receiver positions are oars. And that includes, you know, Juice Wells. Then you got Van and Brooks as an or, right? They're kind of like, wow. Um, but it ended up kind of playing out that way. The the bigger surprise probably, like in hindsight, looking back on it, it seems almost silly that Mitch Jeter and Kai Kroger were both or players, you know, coming into the year. And then they ended up having the season that they had. So it shows a guy can win a job or win a backup job and then kind of it can change, or they can just take off from there. So whoever the number two guy is internally, uh, you know, and you would think there is one right now internally in the coaches' minds, if they played today, saying here's the second guy out there, 
that could change between now and when they kick it off against North Carolina. It could change throughout the course of the season, or we could see a guy like a Braswell kind of rise up and really kind of take off and uh, and make a a big impact or an even bigger than expected impact. Yeah, for sure, man. And I, I mean, this time last year, I specifically remember trying to ask around who's the best wide receiver on this team. Because if you remember, Josh Van had the best season of his career the prior year, decides to come back. He's supposed to be the guy. And then we start hearing all this buzz about Juice Wells. But it's okay. Is Juice Wells getting this buzz and he's going to be like the number two guy behind Josh? Or is Juice Wells getting all this buzz and he's going to be what he ended up being? And that's like an alpha leading receiver, all SEC type guy. Um, Similarly, people maybe forget there was a battle at linebacker. Mo Kaba entered camp as a backup and was sort of in a battle for, for playing time there. And we kept hearing, well, Hey, Kaba, Kaba has emerged. Like he's going to be a guy, but I, I distinctly remember when the depth chart comes out and Kaba was first team, it was kind of like, okay, he, you know, everything we're hearing was sort of um, solidified. Like it, it was locked in. Okay. He is going to have the emergence that we thought he was. And then of course the injury happens and, um, you know, it just didn't end up playing out the way it should have on paper. So there, there's all types of variables in all this. And we did have a question earlier, Chris. Let's go back to it. Had a question. How how has Mokaba looked? And, you know, I, I would say there are some good signs there, but also some, all right, let's let it play out signs too, in that, I mean, is, is this too much of an assumption, Chris? I don't think it is. Strong, both of them had the same injury, but Strong has been out there rotating in when they go to 11-on-11 11 11 work. Kaba mm-hmm. has not been. Yep. So it just feels like in terms of what they're allowing each guy to do, Strong is just further along in that process. And also, some, dude, something we haven't really talked about, the reps at linebacker are still to be decided. Stone Blanton went through all of spring ball pretty much with the ones at that middle linebacker spot, but he's been banged up. He's been dressed out, but has been doing stuff to the side when they were in 11-on-11 work. So who are the starters this year? Who are the starters week five as the season gets moving? Yep. Stone's in the mix. Pup Howard has been taking first-team reps. Debo Williams is in the mix. Um, Bam Martin Scott is in the rotation. And then you have, what would you call it? The wild card of the whole thing would be, where is Mo Kaba from a health standpoint? And then what I think is maybe a step above that, where is he at in terms of, okay, you're healthy, but are you everything you were before? Which is always a question that has to be answered when you're coming back from a major injury. Are you everything you were before? And then where are you relative to the other guys, right? Because, um, you know, last year, pre-injury, Kaba was set to have a big year. I, I know you said probably was going to be the leading tackler. I totally agree. And that was on special teams and defense. Remember, he was winning 
pre-spring internal awards on the team for how he had played in spring football on defense and on special teams. But now what you have, Wes, is you have some other guys that are also looking to take their game to the next level. So Stone Button in year two, Debo Williams, another year with the program, right? Um, you've got Bam Martin Scott. I mean, you've got some other guys in there that, that A, have talent, and B, now have another year of experience and are looking to take a step forward themselves. So it could end up being a combination of those things to where, hey, maybe game one, and maybe not, but perhaps Mo Kaba is out there and he's kind of a super sub, you know, for the first week or the first two weeks or the first half of the season. Who, who knows? Um, but I think you have to watch the situation and, and how they are bringing him back from the knee injury and also what those other guys are doing. Um, I think if we just automatically plug in Kaba to a starter role coming off that injury, I think it's kind of discounting what the other guys have been doing as well because it seems like just kind of putting everything together, the little bits of info that we've heard, Wes, it does seem like the staff has been happy with how those other guys are progressing too. Mm -hmm. Remember Stone Blanton was somebody that Shane Beamer has mentioned several times as kind of being at someone who's going to play a lot more snaps this year. Now it could be that Cabo, by the time the UNC game rolls around, he's in there rolling with the ones, or it could be halfway through the year. I think he's going to play an important role on this team ultimately, but there's probably some questions of kind of when and, and what that ends up looking like, how impactful uh, he ends up being this season. Yeah, and I, I want to. I got one more thing to add on the linebackers. Uh, I want to continue that conversation, uh, but first, uh, want to welcome our friends at Liberty Tax back on for another year. Uh, they are going to continue sponsoring us here on GC Live and uh, very, very thankful for Larry and his team at Liberty Tax for uh, being uh, sponsors and supporters of the show um, actually for a couple of years now. If you want to get your taxes in order, 803-462-5576 is the number. And Chris, you recently got a head start on your taxes, and I'm actually thinking about doing the same soon, man. That can cure a lot of tax anxiety that could oh, be hitting you later on. Absolutely, man. I, I'm telling you, you need to do it. I know you and I talk a lot. I don't sense a lot of tax anxiety in you yet, but you could be there. You want to go ahead and head it off a little bit, of, you know, just keep your tax situation nice and healthy. I have none. My wife and I have zero tax anxiety at all. We know Larry and his team. They're absolutely all over it. Planning ahead for next year. If you're someone that has to make estimated tax payments, which I have to do those uh, every year for some different things, he'll get you situated. He'll let you know, hey, this is probably what you're looking at. He'll help you figure out your tax situation as far as, um, you know, write-offs and different expenses, things like that. They do an outstanding job. Larry has a lot of experience, tons of experience. He told me a lot of tax stories. Really enjoyed talking to him. They do an outstanding job. Highly recommend talking to them. Yep, they do Chris's taxes. They do, they're going to do my taxes. They can do yours as well. Uh, William Jones asking, who does punt returns? That would be a uh, current battle, I would say, between Eddie Lou, which is Eddie Lewis, um, Amari and Brown. Landon Sampson has called a few balls there when we were out there. Uh, Jalen Kilgore. Maybe the dark horse there. Uh, I, I I think it's going to be tough to beat out an Eddie Lewis or an Amarian Brown, me personally. But that that's kind of the guys that are there. 
I think you probably give Eddie Lewis the edge, but I, I think that's a spot that could could maybe be up for grabs. You got to you got to be a perfectionist to win a job under Pete Limbo. So I that's right. I don't, I don't think anything is locked in with the special teams yet, except maybe uh, maybe kicker and punter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, kicker, punter, and and snapper, right? And and I would think Wes. Do we feel like Xavier Leggett has a better hold on the kick returner job than, say, Lewis or Brown do at punt returner? That That's probably safe to say. Um, not that I would, you know, write it in stone, Xavier Leggett at wide, at, at wide receiver. I would write that in stone. Xavier Leggett at, at kick returner. I don't know if I'd write it in stone. Seems quite likely to me. But the Lewis-Brown battle, there, there could end up being – you know, a little bit more of a battle there. If you would not write Xavier Leggett in stone, <laughs> would you write him in pen or would you write him in pencil? For kick returner? Kick returner, yes. Yeah, he, he would be um, – I'll, I'll pin him. I'll pin him in. That would, actually not- be a, that would actually be a pretty interesting way to frame up how we feel. Pencil, pen, or stone. That's a new game yeah. for us. Yeah. Okay. We'll do it. I, I still it still irks me to this day. We actually we put Josh Van. I remember on 107.5, beginning of camp last year, it was who's a lock to start, and we were trying to figure out which guys. And it wasn't three levels to it. It was just lock to start or not a lock. We locked Josh Van to start, and um, Jalen Brooks, I believe, ended up. Uh, Starting in that spot, yeah. Game one. It, uh, uh, in fairness, I mean, in fairness to us, as you point. But if you're out, gonna lock it, Chris, it's got to be a lock. Yeah, but I mean, Josh Van just had the best season of his career. I think that yeah. was fair. But yeah, we we will increase our threshold for locks based on that. So like, a, yeah, Spencer Rattler at quarterback. Yeah, starting at quarterback. That's his, now watch up. They're gonna come out and like the carry on joiner is gonna fit. Take the first snap or something, and then the carry on will technically be a starting quarterback. That, yeah, that doesn't count though. We're not no, counting. Okay. That. Yes, but that is the probably the best example on the team of a lock to start. Like Juice Wells being a a starting wide receiver for this football team. You know, Nicky Minwari is Nicky Minwari is a starting safety. Yeah. You know, assuming ever you can't. And you can't do things like I just did with the carry-on or say, well, that guy was injured or suspended or whatever. That doesn't count. Assuming full availability. Yes. Lock status. There are a few guys that are there, but not many things in sports that are. True. Um, so is there are there scenarios where Stone Blanton, Debo Williams, Mo Caba, and Pup Howard – are, are all four of those guys potentially starters? Obviously, only two are starting in the four-two-five base. But are all four guys in the running to start week one right now? Yes, and I would also add in Bam. How about that? No? Yeah, but I, I kind of feel like yeah, – yeah, I, I don't want to – completely take him out of the conversation but I tend to think I think Debo 
if it were just Debo and Bam at will, let's say Cabo's not quite ready to start yet, it feels to me like Debo would start over Bam. That's just my opinion, though. I it can't does. say that. Yes. I can't no, it, say that. It, it feels that way. I feel like if we're putting Pup in that mix, then you would have to put Bam in it, though. But because, Pup's been working with once. But that's because of no Kaba in the in those scenarios. Who's been working at Mike and Will? No Kaba yeah. and Stone Blanton off to the side. Yeah, Without, but we don't know if Stone or like I'm factoring that in. We don't. I'm assuming Stone's going to be ready to go. But how many reps does he miss? Yeah. Yeah, I tend to, I tend, I still tend to view Pup because he's a true freshman. I still tend to view him as about the same chance as Bam to start the beginning of the year, game one. And that is not very high. The main reason being that he's a freshman. Yeah. That's really all. That's really all it is. But he's going to play a lot. He's going to play a lot, as he should. Very talented dude. Looks like an edge standing back there. Yeah. Big dude. Golly, looks like a freaking redshirt junior. <laughs> yeah, I feel like. Um, hey, can you imagine? We'll leave them nameless. Remember our uh, our buddies, the former players that uh, saw Leggett walk out there, and they were like, "God, that's a receiver." Yes, we should have we should have point, pointed out Pup Howard to them. We we should just send them a picture and be like, "We're not telling you who this is. We're gonna have to remove the numbers so they can't guess." Yeah. Like maybe guess a position, like just the head and no number, and see what they think. Big bigger certainly than the guys that played linebacker as seniors. <laughs> They'd be and, like that guy probably played defensive tackle for us, you know? Yeah, so could definitely play end or definitely edge. Play. He would have outsized a lot of the defensive ends then. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we're in an hour. We had some questions. Are we going to try to do this tomorrow? Mm, let's not promise it to the people, but I, I, I would, I would like to. Although we have practice, Wes, we have practice at two thirty-five. But I do yeah. feel like we need to try to sneak one in somewhere, if possible. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll check, we'll check the schedule. We'll see about it. We'll report back. Yeah. Um, until tomorrow or until Monday. Appreciate y'all. Hope y'all have a great day. Plenty more on Gamecock Central coming up. Again, open portion of practice on Friday. So if you're a subscriber, come on over. 235 will have live updates. So, of course, have observations after. And uh, lots going on and lots that we'll be covering on GamecockCentral.com. Appreciate all y'all for viewing, for listening, and appreciate our sponsors as always as well. Y'all have a good one.